whoever is listening guys welcome back my name is grayson man and welcome to episode 135 or part 9 of 10 of our clemson football preview series a part of the man with the plan podcast guys thanks as always for joining and we're rounding up this series we've had eight episodes so far this one will release on wednesday we're recording this on tuesday and then our final part with clemson's favorite team south carolina it's gonna be on friday so today we have Andrew Jones, who is the publisher of Tar Heel Illustrated. We're having a nice little conversation about ACC Media Day before we got started. So, Andrew, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you for doing this. Grayson, I appreciate you having me on. I look forward to checking out your whole series, too. I'm always interested (laughs) in what the Tigers are. I used to cover Clemson a long time ago a little bit, so I'm always interested in what the Tigers are doing. Yeah, especially at this juncture in uh, in, at least in Dabo's era. It's an interesting year that's upcoming. So, Andrew, can you walk our audience through just to kick us off what you've been up to in the off season, what your role is and just what you're looking forward to in this upcoming season. I love diving into what each outlet's day-to-day roles are. So what is your kind of day-to-day basis, at least right now? We're 365 every day of the year. We have a minimum two new content items. I would say maybe 10 days a year. We have two, the rest of the time we have at least three. So we cover Carolina football, basketball, and recruiting for both very, very hard. I'm the publisher. I'm the lead writer. I'm the lead podcast guy. I've I'm starting my 28th year in this business coming up actually Thursday when I head to Charlotte for the Carolina portion of the ACC kickoff. And I've done daily newspapers. I was national at national regional at Fox sports. I was at part of a national startup at Buster sports, which was pretty cool. And this job I'm starting my 10th year, first of August. So I'm really excited. It's the only time I've ever actually covered one school. I covered Clemson a lot when I was with Fox sports Used to head down Death Valley a lot during football season. That was always a lot of fun. So I enjoy doing one school. I enjoy the nitty gritty of diving into every nook and cranny of a program. And I, I enjoy reporting it to a very passionate fan base. If people are going to pay us $100 a year to be on our site, that means they care deeply. So I love the challenge of kind of meeting their needs and satisfying uh, satisfying those needs and also answering the questions that they have. People want to know. They always want to know what does this mean nowadays and whether it's good or bad. I love the responsibility of telling them what it means. Yeah. And I think for a school like UNC, it's unique that, and I think I didn't touch on this in our Duke episode, but there is this duality with the football is king in the fall, but UNC is also a school that everyone's waiting for them to get on the, on the basketball court. And so it's always a program I feel that's trying to not break from that basketball identity because the football program has been fascinating, especially last year. So to kind of segue to that, I think for you, what was 2022 like for UNC? Obviously, I remember (laughs) sitting on the couch watching Drake May's first game as a Tar Heel against Chase Bryce in App State, blown away. And every game I had, to, it was must-see football. What was that like, that emergence for Mac Brown? You come in ACC runner-up against Clemson. There's a lot to look forward to with this UNC team that's bringing a lot of talent in from the transfer portal. What was 2022 like from your perspective? Well, I, I kind of coined it during the year as a bridge to this year, but they kept winning and winning, and they were winning a lot of close games. And then it kind of reversed course with them, actually, when they they lost their last four. Mac has a couple of reasons why he thinks they lost their last four, including uh, they missed a field goal in overtime against NC State, missed a field goal late against Oregon. That would have been a difference in that game as well. But they won enough really close games early that things kind of evened out. I think in the end, they were a nine and five football team. They were a club that was good enough to beat some really good teams and compete, but they weren't ready to get over that hump. I think we saw that in the ACC championship game against Clemson. I'm not sure Clemson 
was demonstrably better what the final score would say, but they were certainly significantly better than North Carolina. So that's what the program is aspiring to be. They want to get to the level that Clemson was at at least last year or what Clemson might be this year. And I'm not sure if this year's club can do that, but of the five that Mac has had in part two of his time at North Carolina, I think this one is best positioned going into a season to approach that. I wouldn't predict that they would, Grayson, but I think that they have a chance to be pretty good and win nine or 10 games in a regular season and, and show that the program is continuing to move forward. Right. And I think for a lot of people picking the pundits, especially in our business, picking ACC, like who it's a new conference structure. So it's the top two head to Charlotte for the ACC championship. And it's been Clemson and Florida State largely regarded as the top two candidates to fill those spots. But where does UNC stand within the ACC? There's a lot of schools like Virginia still trying to find themselves with Tony Elliott. NC State's bringing in a new transfer, Brennan Armstrong. Georgia Tech is still in its rookie phase with Brent Key, only had eight games under his belt. So there's a lot of turnover, but there's also some familiar faces. So where does Mac Brown's program fit in? Are they a top three program or are they somewhere in the middle? I think it's fair to say if you want to juggle Carolina and Pittsburgh as the three and four teams, I think that's okay. And I would warn about Florida State. It's a meteoric rise. I don't know if the foundation is fully there or the way it will be in a couple of years. They remind me a little bit of the way people treated North Carolina two years ago. They had that really good year in 2020 with Javante Williams and Michael Carter and Sam Howe was coming back and they were preseason top 10. They go to Blacksburg and they got creamed, physically creamed. It was a one touchdown game, but they were physically overmatched in that game. And, and I don't think they ever recovered. I'm not suggesting that's going to happen to FSU. But I'm saying that I'm not totally convinced yet that FSU is at Clemson's level until I see them actually do it. I do think that Mike Norvell will get the program to that level. Perhaps it is this year. Perhaps it's in a year or two. I think they're on the way. But I'm not totally convinced that they're going to be that club this year. But I'm also not convinced that North Carolina or Pittsburgh are the number two team either. I think that they're going to battle for three and four. A lot of people are throwing a lot of love on Louisville. I don't know. Louisville's decent. I think Jeff Brom's a really good coach. If you can do some decent things at Purdue, you can do them at Louisville. But I just think the rest of the league is sort of a crapshoot. There's so much unknown. I think Duke could be sneaky good this year. Uh, I would never say that NC State won't be competitive. Dave Dorn's a good coach. They're a physical team. They do the X's and O's really well. They, they, they dot your T's and cross your I's, dot your I's and cross your T's kind of thing. But do they have enough firepower to keep up with some of the other teams in, in some kinds of games? I, And then Miami, I, I'm not going to say Miami's one of those teams until Miami actually does it. They, they are they are to the ACC what Texas A&M is to the SEC, just a lot of, lot of pomp and preseason bloviating and not a whole lot of substance in the fall until they actually do it. So, uh, yeah, one of these days Miami's going to get it right with the right coach and it's going to, and they're going to roll, but – I mean, they sure didn't look like it last year. So Mario has a lot to prove in year two. Yeah, absolutely. There's a um, We had our conversation with Marcus Benjamin. He said this year's probably not going to be it to the level that Miami's used to from days in the past, but they're going to eventually get there with the talent that they've brought in. But before we get into the spring of this year, I like to kind of follow a chronological-ish order uh, for, these, for the series. Drake May is going to be the top name that UNC is going to, it's a headliner. They're going to have college game day with South Carolina to start the fall. What was your impression of him in year one, uh, a young freshman that really came onto the scene? 
I just certainly didn't have him on my list as one of the top quarterbacks in the country heading into that year. And he certainly grew over time. He certainly had his growing pains, but I think overall it was a pretty positive year for UNC's quarterback room. What did you see from May in his freshman year that really impressed you and maybe some criticisms on where he can grow his game? Well, Dina King is my football recruiting director, and she also runs the NC Prep site, uh, the high school site in the Rivals Network. And she said all along that he was going to be better than Sam Howe. She said it from day one. So when I saw him last year in spring, I thought, okay, this guy's, I mean, he really is very talented. I'd seen him in some high school stuff and some summer camps coming along, but it was in fall camp. We got access the second day of fall camp last year. And that's when there was just something very, very different about him. And we actually did a podcast afterward where um, Jacob Turner on my staff and I both said, he's the guy be better than Sam. He's going to be sensational. And he is that. If there is a criticism, uh, uh, he'll tell you it's footwork. And he'll tell you that maybe it's uh, staying on a receiver too long or something like that. He's very nitpicky. And he should be nitpicky because the great ones are nitpicky. And he is a great college quarterback. I, I, I think what happened late in the year, if you look at his numbers, they dipped a little bit because they they got too run heavy with him. Phil Longo, the former offensive coordinator, he did it with Sam Howell, his junior year, got too run heavy with the quarterback. And then he called way too many things that were locked in on Josh Downs and Antoine Green. So suddenly the field kind of shrunk for Drake because of a lot of the play calling. This year, I don't think that'll be the case because I think there's there's more depth, there's more variety in the receiver room. They have three tight ends that they can use. And I think the running back room is going to be better than it was a year ago. And they're saying they're not going to run Drake a whole lot. In fact, Chip Lindsay, who's the new offensive coordinator, and his he runs a similar offense to what Phil Longo did. But one of the differences that I'm looking forward to seeing is he said that even in the shotgun, they've added some drops. There's some three, two, three-strap drops there for Drake. So he's not going to run after stuff like that unless he's under duress. So I think him focusing more on distributing the ball and not as much on running the ball and taking hits will make him a better passer. And the offense, I think, will be better than it was a year ago. It wasn't great at times last year. They they, they stagnated at times because they didn't have a very good run game. I think they'll be better with that this year. And as a result, they're going to have a phenomenal offense. If the defense is average, they have a chance of being really good. But that's a big if. Yeah, I think that was UNC's kryptonite last year was that the offense yeah. could put up points, snap at the finger, but the defense could do the same as well, giving up seven. So and I, I think that's something you really in, interesting that you brought up is protecting Drake Mang, being able to not exert everything into the run game or the pass game, really making sure that he's growing through those progressions and taking that natural step as a quarterback and as a passer so that you can really allow the offense to diversify, being able to run the football more with your backs, being able to put in maybe some screens, RPO, stuff like that. Is that some kind of the stuff they're trying to implement, just being a little more, not saying, I don't want to try to say creative like it wasn't last year, but a little more juice to it. Yeah, I think because I think they have better weapons. The guys that were behind Josh and Antoine last year are older now. I think Kobe Pesar, he caught 23 passes in the three games he was in there for Josh Downs when Downs was out. I think he's ready to explode. They brought in a kid, Tez Walker, from Kent State, who scored the only first-half touchdown against Georgia last year in the month of September, and he had a big game against Georgia. They brought in Nate McCollum from Georgia Tech. He had 60 receptions in 11 games with three different quarterbacks, <clears throat> and none of those quarterbacks were worth a crap. So what might he do with with a Drake May? They just have options. They have a lot of options, but they have to protect him. Uh, Drake was sacked 40 times last year. Sam was sacked 49 times a year before that. 
They they did not run the ball well in tight situations in the red zone. They have to do those things well to minimize the hits on Drake. Don't force him to throw the ball away as much as he had to last year. What would his percentage have been if he didn't have so many throwaways? And allow him to just kind of pick around. If he's got three, four receivers going out for passes, including a tight end, that have to be honored uh, as if they're a number one receiver and he and he's protected, they're going to be really, really good on offense. My dog is knocking my table right now. If you see the table <laughs> bouncing a little bit. He's a 90-pound boxer, and he should be 78 pounds. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so that I think the offense is going to be really good. I think they're going to be solid on special teams. But, Grayson, I know it's cliche in a way to say this because everyone else is, but it's going to come down to the defense. They have to be better mm-hmm. against the run. The, the, last year, they had 19 sacks, gave up 40. They were last in the nearly near the bottom of the nation in TFLs. That's not going to get – and they don't get a lot of turnovers. In fact – in the first four seasons of Mac part two, their cornerbacks combined for eight interceptions. Wow. So they, they brought in a kid wow. from East Tennessee state, Elijah Huzzy. He had six in each of the last two years. And Mac Brown and Gene Shizik said, look, if you could find a ball, you can get the ball at that level. You can do it at this level. So they think that he's a big time prospect and, and he's penciled in as a starter right now. So if they can get some more turnovers, a few more TFLs, a few more sacks, get off the field a couple of times more a game than I think that this team has a chance to win just about every weekend they take the field. Yeah, and some of those turnovers allow a great offense to get a short field, which can result in quicker drives uh, and yeah. piling on quicker leads, especially against teams that UNC probably should have beat last year. They, they, the NC State, for example, who are starting a freshman quarterback. I think in certain cases, NC State was starting a third string uh, quarterback. Yeah, in that, after in that the game they were. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was after Devin Leary went down. The it was the week after the Clemson game. Actually, it just certain games yeah. that UNC had no business. It could have been an eleven win team potentially had things swung their way. But let's go yeah. to the spring and you list out all of the the boxes that need to be checked off for this team to be successful. Where what have what have they done in this spring to really attack that list? Let's just put it that way. What have you seen from them in the spring? And is there anybody that's catching your eye and you want to tell the audience? Hey, if you're watching UNC football coming this fall, this is somebody needed to watch for. Well, I'll tell you two words that were thrown around this spring that I've been doing this for a long time. I haven't heard thrown around very often before. One was the word soft. Mac Brown acknowledged that the narrative about North Carolina football is that they're soft. He said it's up to us to do something about it. He didn't dispute it. He said we got to change the narrative. So there's only one way you change the narrative, and that's by not being soft. And then Dean Chiswick, on the other hand, and Max said this a couple of times too, used the word violent or violence a lot. They were really pushing to get tougher uh, uh, approach here with the with the team. They they had more they had more contact in the spring than they usually do. They hit more in drills. They hit more in seven on seven. They hit more eleven on eleven stuff. Uh, and so they they really wanted to find out where the group was. And there were some guys that kind of moved up a little bit in the depth chart, a couple of guys that slid down because of physicality. They're grading very high on that. And that is a word we're going to hear a lot starting Thursday in Charlotte. And then next week when they hit the practice field and hit, guys are going to talk about being violent. They're, going to, they're talking about discipline on defense. Don't try to do someone else's job because if you do, that means two of you are out of place instead of one. Violent. And also, you know, make the plays, finish the play, play to the whistle, that kind of thing. So it's going to be interesting to see 
where they are in that respect, because we're going to know after four games. They got South Carolina, neutral site. Gamecocks are going to be physical. They got App State. They're going to come in raring to go. Then they got Minnesota at home, which is a physical team. And then they go to Pittsburgh, which might be the most physical team on their schedule, and that's on the road. So if they're intent on shedding and prime to shed that soft narrative and they are more violent, we'll know after week four. I'll wait to see. I think it's in them. I think they've got some more. I think they're more physical guys in this roster than they had a couple of years ago when they didn't live up to the hype at all. So I do think they're better positioned for that. And I also think they're a little bit more skilled with some of those violent guys. But um, that's going to be something I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch all spring. I'm going to hear what the guys say. And then that first snap against South Carolina, who wins the battle in the trenches? They got to win 51 or 50.1% of those battles. I don't think they have in the past. So if they do that, that would be an upgrade. And it's for someone to keep an eye on. Carolina fans and maybe Clemson fans too, I'm sure they remember Travis Shaw and the recruitment, but Travis Shaw was a five-star kid a couple of years ago, played at 375 last year. Mm. He's down to 335. Uh, he has put away the cookies for the most part. He's matured by all accounts of people in the program. He has matured tremendously in learning how to become a college football player. He was just a kid last year. <clears throat> he was a kid in a college football uniform. Now they're saying he's a college football player in a college football uniform. And I think that's a tremendous difference. So if he becomes a first round type player and he shows those flashes this year and the staff believes he's a, he's a likely first rounder at some point, if all the lights go on, then you'll see that early this year. And I think he could end up being a guy who breaks out defensively. He's got, he's got all the talent you can ask for. He's very athletic and he's huge and he can be violent too. It's just a matter of the consistency aspect. And so much of that comes with maturity and confidence. Right. And he can only grow within that program. I think Mac Brown's one yeah. of the right guys in the ACC to be able to really take that and try to grow on that. And we're going to, I have a background question for you in a second, but I think, you mentioned something about that USC game and we're doing these uh, interviews. I'm actually going to be doing them back to back. I have the USC one at about a couple hours here, but I think there's something really special about this kickoff game. And I know there's a, a lot of people are upset that they're like, Oh, why is ESPN picking this game? But there's two, these are two programs who had a lot of momentum in 2022, North Carolina, getting the ACC championship, taking a really talented Oregon team that I thought was much better than people give them credit for to the very end, could have very well won that game. South Carolina takes Tennessee and Clemson to the woodshed. They go and play a very talented Notre Dame team in their bowl game. There's a lot of momentum for these programs, and I think a week one win could say a lot about where these programs are heading, especially with that ACC-SEC narrative. How big would an opener against a South Carolina team that arguably has, besides maybe a Georgia-Alabama, they're one of those mid-tier SEC teams that has a lot to say this year. What could a win like that start really propel a season for North Carolina? It would it would mean a lot if South Carolina has a solid year. And also, it's not just the North Carolina part of the equation, but it's also the Drake May part, because if he's going to contend for a Heisman Trophy, they need to beat South Carolina, they need to beat Minnesota, and both those teams need to have good years in their leagues. And Drake needs to go crazy against both teams. You know, 350-plus with three or four touchdowns, no picks, which he's certainly more than capable of doing. So that's what that means. And I think that Drake May getting getting a lot of press this year is phenomenal for North Carolina because it's not very often that the program has had guys in the running for the Heisman in the past. I think they've only had 
what six players on seven different occasions finishing the top 10 of the Heisman voting. So, and Drake was one of them last year. He finished 10th. So I think it's huge for both because Mac will parlay all of that into something positive for the program, especially since they're almost done with 24. There were 24 recruiting class and they're knee deep in the 25 recruiting class now. So they, they want to use that to, to reel those kids in, but this team needs, they need to beat somebody good. They need to beat somebody with a reputation. These kids remember what happened in the bowl game a couple of years ago when UNC laid an egg and got throttled and were totally unprepared for what South Carolina did. These kids recognize that they had they lost the last four games last year. And two of them were games they absolutely should have won. Maybe even three of them they should have won. So there's a little bit of a chip. Like they they know they should be really good this year, but they also have that chip. It's different than the team a couple of years ago that was coming off the Orange Bowl. They had that massive win at Miami, and they were kind of feeling a little too good about themselves. This group has a little bit more of an edge to them, and they have a little bit more something to prove. They're not really reading a lot of press clippings because, honestly, there aren't a lot. Most people are talking about what the hell happened when you closed out the season with four losses. I mean, who is this program? Is, is this a fork in the road year for Matt, Mac Brown, which I think is foolish, but that's what a lot of people are saying. That's what the kids are hearing. So I think this is a very important game because if they lose a game like this, no matter how it happens, I, I would expect human nature would settle in. And that means doubt. And you, the last thing you want to do is pull an older team and they have a lot of older guys now pull them out of the realm of doubt already one week into a season when you've got app coming in Minnesota coming in, going to Pittsburgh. So I think it's really important for them to get off to a good start, get some momentum going, cut the cord to losing four in a row and full throttle head. And that Drake has a big game and he gets a lot of press. It's going to be prime time game days there. You know, there's not a lot of other great matchups that day. So I think that's one reason this game's getting it. And I'll tell you one other thing, Grayson, Place better be full. <laughs> you know, these two schools opened the season in 15 and in 19 in Charlotte, and it wasn't close to full. And the bowl game wasn't close to full a couple of years ago, which I think is absurd and shame on both fan bases. So if they're on prime time and they got Fowler and Herb Street there and game day there and the place isn't full, it's going to be a bad look for both schools, not just Car- not just North Carolina, but South Carolina too. Yeah, I, I have a feeling both will show up. There's a lot of riding on this season. And I think something that, I don't get to ask often just because we're in our Clemson bubble, but you bring up the lot of you bring up Mac Brown part two as a phrase often. And this isn't necessarily a job performance question, but I do want to get your perspective on what part two has been like under Mac Brown. There's certainly been a lot of highs where they've been able to have a lot of successes, make it back to the ACC championship. I believe they're in a New Year's six bowl against Michigan. I want to say that's the team. They, they were it was Texas AM in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, okay. That's the team I was okay. There we in the head, um, but yeah, with there's a lot of a lot of highs, a lot of lows for Mac Brown. Maybe seasons where there was a lot of hype, like you said, and they didn't live up to those expectations. From your vantage point, how has part two gone with Mac Brown? Because there's a lot of been, a, I think, recruiting wise, there's been a lot of successes too. And there's been there feels like this is a team that is close, but maybe there's still yeah. a couple pieces left to be filled. What has been your assessment of Mac Brown? in this part two and it's really storied football career for him. Yeah, I think you're right about the, about the pieces. I think most of those pieces are in come in the form of depth. They, they, there are some position groups they can't afford attrition this year. And in the past they've, they've had some trouble with that because they don't have, they could go 40 deep, let's say for the sake of discussion, but the really good programs that are competing for something significant in November goes 60, 65 deep. 
basically with guys they could trust to put on the field. So they're working toward that. I think part two has gone better than a lot of diehard Carolina fans because Mac is sort of a victim of his own success. Look what he did the last time at Carolina. Look what he did. Look at Texas the 18 years before he got there and look at Texas since he left. If anybody wants to dispute whether Mac Brown's a great football coach or not, they just need to look at that and look at North Carolina since he left in 1997. It's been a quarter century since he left. They've won more than eight games twice. So, and they did it last year. And they would have won more than eight in 2020, but there, but there was a limited schedule because of COVID. So I think he's done a really good job. There are a lot of boxes that they have checked that they didn't they hadn't previously checked in a while. And I think they're headed in the right direction. He has an opportunity with a generational quarterback this year. I think Drake May is the best quarterback in school history who could win a Heisman, could be the number one pick in the draft, that they could ride him to do something special at a school that hasn't done a lot of stuff. That was a good program the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but it dropped off and they have not totally found themselves. This could be a year in which they take a step forward in finding themselves. Now, if they go four and eight, then we could have a different discussion in December. But I think Mac gets a little bit too much criticism from Carolina fans because they expected overnight success. They expected the top defense of the nation like they had in 96 and 97 just to roll out on the field because Mac's back. And it takes a lot more than that. I think that he's making progress in a lot of areas. It's a little more incremental, but I also think incremental progress sometimes builds a stronger foundation than overnight success. So I don't have a problem with with what he's done so far. But again, talk to me in December. If they're seven and five or six and six, then I think that that a lot of narratives that are that kind of share my opinion right now would change a little bit. But they're not that. If they're eleven and one. Yeah. Then the guys who are critical, they're going to have to change their tune too. So, and I think that's the range. I think seven and five to 11 and one is probably the range for this team. And we actually, you make the next question a lot easier for these, uh, the transition. We like to cover some central themes in this series, and it's about ex- how do we define expectations in certain programs? And then we love to hear your thoughts on the state of Clemson's football program. Mm-hmm. So, this question has really been fascinating for me because you ask, riders at wake forest and they talk about how seven to eight wins that year that's a fantastic football season yes maybe somebody at a florida state they're reaching a little bit higher they want to reach those playoff aspirations maybe try to get back to the national championship days of 2013 with jimbo there's just a lot of different answers and i think that's really fascinating about how each program and there's a lot of all the programs are in one conference, but the expectations could not be more different. So for UNC, what how do you define expectations for a program like you said with Mac Brown has had a lot more successes than maybe his critics are able wanting to admit? How does this UNC program, maybe not this year, but moving forward, what's what's a successful season for the Tar Heels? Well, there were they've had. 10 winning seasons in, I think, seven different decades or six different decades under five different coaches. They finished in the top 10, in, I think, six different decades under five or six different coaches. So you could win there. The problem, And they've been really good at times. It's just never been sustained. So I think sustaining something and then going from there, if, if they can sustain eight-plus wins and have the flare-up seasons, given – the NIL era right now in which they lack in their collective, their collective isn't what Clemson's collective is. Mac is insisted that they need to get better with the collective so they can be more competitive in certain aspects of how you build your roster. If they improve in the collective, I think they'll improve 
with their roster. So as it is right now, I think eight wins with a flare-up every couple of years where they win 10, 11, 12 games. I think that that should be the expectation because, you know, Bobby Bowden said a long time ago, this is a sleeping giant, and Mac was awakening it when he left the first time. Can he awaken it to that level again? I don't know, but I, somebody can because it comes down to coaching. Dabo was the right guy for Clemson. Look at Clemson before he took, got the job. LSU had seven losing seasons in the 90s. It comes down to coaching. Look at Alabama before Saban got there. It comes down to coaching. And if Max the right guy, they will win, and they'll win at a fairly decent level. If it's somebody else down the road, they'll win as well there. You can win there. You can win there more than a lot of other ACC schools because they have a lot of inherent uh, attributes that help them recruit. And if the Jordan brand thing becomes a really big deal with NIL there at some point, which is very possible. That'd be a game changer for North Carolina. I think they would be very competitive in more of a national level in football. I do think this year, I think most fans probably figure anything less than 10 wins is a, is a negative. I, I believe that. And I, I think maybe nine because you got to go to Pitt, you got to go to Clemson, got to go to NC state right now. They wouldn't be favored in any of those games, even NC state. I know fans will hate me for saying that, but it's true. <laughs> So they would have to pull off what would be a so-called upset to get to 10 wins right now. Now things will change once, once the games start being played, but uh, I would say nine to 10 wins at the minimum. Anything less than nine, I think actually would be a negative because that means losing a game they really shouldn't lose and likely at home because they have a stretch there for almost two months where they have one road game. So hmm. they should fatten up during that period. Well, there you go. Nine to 10 wins. That's the, uh, that's the UNC expectation. We transition into our final major topic of this episode, and it's something that I love to be able to, like I said, get the perspective of expectations for each of these programs. But I also like to hear what your current thoughts are from the outside, because me, I can talk to my boss and we could talk about the state of the program for Clemson, or I could talk to a friend or roommate in my apartment. We could talk about, oh, where is this program going? It's a little different when you hear it from somebody who's not got the orange and purple lens on their glasses. So for you, this is a Clemson program from 2015 to 2020 unparalleled success for the program it becomes the new standard. They lost a combined seven times in those those seasons. Four of those came in the postseason to teams like Ohio state with Justin Fields, LSU with a Joe Burrow team that felt like handpicked from a Madden franchise or something like that. An Alabama team here and there, there have been six losses in the last two seasons one of the most unforgivable sins of losing to rival South Carolina. Clemson gets blasted on the road to Notre Dame. There's been a lot of interesting conversations that have been had about this program. Dabo brings in Garrett Riley, Fires first-time coordinator, Brandon Streeter. There's a lot of talk in uh, Clemson, South Carolina right now about where this program is headed. I personally believe it's a fork in the road season. We're going to see whether it's a these last two years have been a bug or a feature. For you, what have these last couple of years for you been about Clemson even though they got back to the ACC championship which Dabo still likes to preach hey ACC championships are they're pretty cool still they're pretty cool to have uh look at like you mentioned earlier well look where the program was before I got here type things 10 win seasons are now looked as a disappointment not a success yeah. where is Clemson in your eyes headed right now can they get back to that playoff stature especially right before we get to the 12 team playoff which it makes it I don't, I, I hate the word easier, but eventually for a team like Clemson, if they can win 10, 11 games, a team, a spot in the 12 team playoff may be a formality at that point. Yeah. Well, well, I could start by saying that I covered Clemson a lot in 10, 11, and 12 when I was at Fox Sports. So I was around Dabo when, when he was still telling the stories about 
Dat Boy, why he why he was called by his name is Dabo. And that was a lot of fun. And you could see him just sort of figuring things out. I remember the Orange Bowl lost to West Virginia and people Ooh. just poured kerosene all over him in the program. But so much was learned from that. And one of the things that's always impressed me about Dabo is he learns when things haven't gone right. And he applies it to his staff. He's always been really good at hiring staff and, and coaching up his staff. Great college football coaches are really good at coaching their staff. The staff has to coach the kids. They have to coach the staff. And I think Dabo's really, really good at that. But if you look at the last two years, this is a college football is a quarterback's game. And what was Clemson's quarterback situation the last two years? Kind so of a... what is it now? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I know that I, I don't have to tell any Clemson fans that. So uh Klubnik's supposed to be the real deal. If he's the real deal and he's kind of what they've had, I was there. I covered them a lot when Taj Boyd was there and Taj was so perfect at that time in the program growing because he was such a good guy, such a good leader. And he kind of helped create the culture. He was so integral in creating the culture that Dabo wanted. And that has continued throughout. I, I, I'm not saying the culture took a sidebar or anything like that the last two years, but Klubnik to me reminds me of a guy who was a lot like Taj Boyd, in terms of that, in terms of being that voice, in terms of being that guy who just lives and breathes it and all he cares about is winning. And if the numbers are there, the numbers are there. They were usually there with Taj a lot uh, and they'll be there for, for, for Cade. So uh, I think they're in good shape. I, I, they are, I will pick them. I haven't done my picks yet, but I will pick them to win the ACC. And I do think that they are a legitimate threat to make the CFP because if they can manage their schedule, then they'll be in position because I think eleven, I think twelve and one, winning the ACC title, twelve and one, which means they're going to play FSU twice, or maybe Carolina twice, or have to beat Pitt on a neutral field if they're really good. I think that'll be enough, probably, to get them in, at least have them in that conversation that day. So I think they're back a little. But I'm a big Dabo guy. A lot of people don't like him because they're tired of him. They think he's a he, he's a blowhard and all that kind of stuff. I think he's pretty <laughs> genuine. I think he's pretty real. And I, I think, like I said, he's a guy that's proven he can learn and adapt, learn from mistakes. When things don't go right, figure out why. And he's not banging his head against the wall all the time. So, and by the way, I do think there's one concern though. No five stars right now in recruiting. Uh, it's it's that I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about that, and they were blown away that Clemson doesn't have any five stars right now. So, I don't know how many spots they have left in this class, but if he could pick up one of those five stars, that'll probably quiet some of those critics as well. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting year for Clemson, and I, it makes me very excited that fall camp is next week because those answers or those questions will start to get answered very soon. So that'll do it for episode 135 of the Man with the Plan podcast and part nine of our Clemson football series. We're tying a little neat bow on this 10-part interview series. Andrew, do you have any more final thoughts before we uh, wrap up here? No, I, I will say this, and I'm not saying it because I'm talking on a Clemson podcast. I think the I think Clemson needs to be damn good in football for the ACC. It, everyone else, some schools need to rise to their level. I, you know, I think ACC fans hit that kind of dump on Clemson now because they're tired of them winning. Should be grateful that Dabo's done what he's done the last few years because no one else has carried the water. Nobody. People think Florida State can now. We'll see. I think Florida State will eventually. North Carolina hasn't done it to the level it should. Virginia Tech's fallen off the map. Miami can't get its you-know-what in gear. Georgia Tech is is a thing of the past, way past, unfortunately. Uh, NC State has a ceiling. Virginia has made one bad hire after another. 
So Clemson has kept this league afloat in football and, and ACC fans should appreciate that. But now they should also want to aspire to be what Clemson is because they are the prototype. I'll tell you this quick story before we go. When Mac Brown got hired, we had a, I would say a press conference. We had to get together with him and it was, it was public, but it was a get together. And he talked about how, when Dabo first got to, got the job that first summer, I think after he was hired in mid season, he took a bunch of his staff to Austin to meet with Mac, just to kind of learn about running a program. Cause Mac's so good at being the CEO of a program, even though he hates that term. And Dabo learned a ton from him. So when Mac came back, he was out for five years and college football changed a lot. So he and some of his staff members that first off season went to Clemson to learn from Dabo mm-hmm. about how things are done now. So when you watch North Carolina, there are a lot of eyes on Clemson about how to do things the right way and Dabo and how he does things the right way. So uh, I think it's interesting as I saw Dabo build his, the first few legs of that when I was covering them a lot when I was at Fox and now seeing Mac try to do this, I think it was a little bit easier job at Clemson because of the culture, because it had won a lot before and because I think you could attract more kids there because it's the number one sport. But I do think that North Carolina has done some things along those lines that Clemson has. And it'll be very interesting to see if he can complete the job, which would be amazing if he does. But I think Clemson fans would probably appreciate the fact that Mac has used what Dabo's done as the prototype. Yeah, guys, that'll be an incentive to stick to the end of this podcast to listen to that little tidbit story about the parallels between Mac Brown and Dabo Sweeney and much more, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning into this podcast and the series. I think we're reaching 22,000 listeners, so let's keep things ramping up before the school year starts. I'm so excited about what's to come. we got NFL coverage coming soon. I'll be talking about Clemson football, obviously, as this season kicks off, and much more, whatever you guys request. Guys, this was Andrew Jones, publisher of Tor Heels Illustrated. Thanks for listening. Subscribe for more. That's a key one right there. Have a great day, and take care. 